Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. As football fans, we have inquisitive minds, and today we want to know who were the greatest NFL players to wear the jersey number 37. Aaron Harris of the Football Odyssey Podcast stops in to help us, and we'll bring a top 10 of number 37s coming up next. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we're podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So with Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff supplying us with the tunes, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and we have a special bonus edition. Our Football by Numbers series returns, and tonight we are going to discuss the jersey number 37. And to help me in this task, we have Aaron Harris of the Football Odyssey podcast to help us through this. You've heard Aaron on a couple of our other episodes recently, and he's done a great job with us, and we'll bring him in right now. Aaron Harris, welcome back to the Pigpen. Happy you had me back. Hey, we are glad to have you. We're just reminiscing a little bit. Aaron and I have been talking quite a bit. Uh, we've had he's been on uh, the Pixie and Dispatch podcast a couple of times. Uh, he's invited me. Have been on the uh, Football Odyssey a couple of times. So we've we've had some good times here, Aaron and I, the last month. Yeah, it's been fun, man. I had a great time getting to listen about your time as a high school ref and growing up around Pittsburgh. And then we had that great Steelers trivia episode. So yeah, we've definitely had some good conversations the past month or so. Yeah, definitely. You made me uh, stirred up some old memories in the the uh, cobwebs upstairs here in, in my brain. So it's uh, good memories. I, I, I don't know if it's a I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but uh, yeah. the spiders are well, loose now. <laughs> they're good. If they're good memories, that's always uh, it's always a plus. <laughs> that's for sure. Well, speaking of memories, we have we're going to go through some great memories of some great players that wore the number thirty seven, and there are some really some good ones here. Now you don't you think of the number thirty seven and you say, okay, who who could be number 37 but when you start going down these lists boy there's quite a few great players yeah and it's amazing how many defensive players we had on this list too i mean for me i probably had only about three or four offensive players and then the rest were all defensive and all i think almost all more defensive back so we got a lot of love for the uh the interceptors in this episode yeah, that's for sure. Well, I guess where we always start is we go to what the Pro Football Hall of Fame, just to give us a little jump start into our conversation. And there is three of members of the Pro Football Hall of Fame enshrined players that the they say wore the number 37. And that is Jimmy Johnson, the player, not the coach, player from the 60s, early 70s, Deion Sanders and Doak Walker. So uh, three different eras of football, uh, three different Hall of Famers. Yeah, they they all like had a pretty interesting appeal to me because I think out of those three, Dion was definitely the one that I put at the bottom of that list because he only had two years we played 37. And that was because when he joined Baltimore, he was 37 years old. So he just took that number. Um, But I think he had five interceptions in his two years there. 
and he was pretty much reduced to a nickelback role, but you know, your credentials for what you did beforehand are always going to weigh in for what you're doing currently or what you did towards the end. So yeah, he's definitely on the list, but he was definitely at the point where he wasn't the same, you know, prime time that he was. Yeah, that that's for sure. I mean, he had uh, three interceptions in 2004, wearing a 37 and uh, two in 2005, but those were some pretty good uh, Baltimore teams on those defenses. You know, you think about the defensive backs they had, and then that they had, uh, you know, the prime time into that mix. That's pretty good. And uh, like you say, he was sort of a, a specialized role for passing situations because he was never really a great tackler. So who'd want him on the rundowns anyway, but he showed himself yeah. well. Yeah, and especially when you're going up against receivers um, who were 15 years younger than you, probably. And at that point, you know, the receivers that were young at that point are a lot more athletic and a lot faster than the receivers that you were going up against when you were a rookie. So, I mean, if they, if he was on a defense like that to uh, keep pace with those guys, I mean, you got to give him props for that. Yeah, most definitely. Um, what, what do you think about uh, Jimmy Johnson on there? Hey, he, he was a guy I wasn't really too familiar with. So he played 213 games and started 205 of them. And he came away with 47 interceptions and 615 yards off of them. Uh, four-time first-team All-Pro. Uh, he was a starter on the 1970s All-Decade team and switched to wide receiver for one year and did pretty well at that, but then went back to being a corner full-time Um Unfortunately, you know, there was a little footage that I could see of him. I think the only footage I could see on YouTube was the 1970 NFC Championship game when it was the 49ers versus the uh, Cowboys. And But beyond that, there wasn't really too much to go off of except from just the accolades that he received from writers and his contemporaries, but which by all accounts, everybody said he was one of the best defensive backs they ever went up against. So that alone, that alone is enough. Yeah, I mean, especially playing on the 49ers team that was, you know, they, like you said, they did make the playoffs a few times in his career. But for the most part, they were sort of the uh, the bottom dwellers of that, uh, you know, NFC West or whatever it was called at the time. I think it was still the NFC West back then. And but still to have 47 picks in that when you have uh, you're playing some teams that are just probably are going to pound the ball against you to you know take leads. Uh, that, that's pretty good numbers there. Yeah. And yeah, playing for a coach, like uh, I think Dick Nolan was his coach for a few of those years and, you know, Dick's a defensive minded coach. So I think for someone like him to, you know, carve out a position for himself and that meant his defense. And uh, a lot of people talked about him the way that people would talk about like Richard Sherman and uh, Darrell Revis, where they just didn't even throw the ball his way. So that may have cut down on some of the numbers that he could have had, but I think a lot of people would consider that the most or the ultimate compliment for a corner that they're not throwing your way. Yeah, that that's most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, 615 yards returned on those interceptions, uh, two touchdowns, real, real good player. Uh, I remember sort of the tail end of his career. And that's about when I started watching football in the mid seventies. And uh, I, I don't remember a whole lot of him, but I do remember the the name uh, because I thought uh, when you know Jimmy Johnson, the coach, was at the University of Miami, I was thinking it was that player at first until I saw that uh, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I could. Whenever I first saw him, I thought for a moment that maybe Jimmy Johnson did have a football career, and then that was what that just wasn't the case. So, <laughs> yeah, not not in the pros anyway. I think he yeah. was a, a college player for uh, was it Oklahoma or Nebraska. One of those he was. I think he played, but uh, 
maybe not. Um, okay, uh, our third uh, Hall of Famer, uh, Doak Walker. Uh, another that's a name that's pretty famous. Yeah, it's a name that's famous, and it's pretty fascinating because he only played six seasons in the NFL. Um, but during that time, he had 534 points. He had a 4.9 yard per carry average. Um, he was always a clutch player in their two championship games for the Lions. I think one of them was against the Cleveland Browns. I think maybe was the other game against the Browns as well. I think it might have been. I think uh, yeah, the first two years the Browns were in the NFL. I think Detroit and them played in that championship game and split the series. I believe. Yeah, I think. Well, I think they won both of them. If I if I'm correct, or maybe it was, uh, or maybe they did split them. But I remember one game he did have like uh, Detroit scored 17 points and Doak had 10 of those points. So he was definitely someone who definitely carried the load for the team. And when he retired, he was the third time all leading scorer. And I think the next person closest to him played eight seasons. So that's a, that's a pretty impressive feat to accomplish in such a short time. And yeah, he's, if you're going to make the hall of fame with such a short career, you definitely have to be in the top five of a lot of statistical categories every year you played and, from all intents and purposes, he was. So, yeah, I think I think he gets the nod. Yeah, I mean, especially the positions he played. You know, he's listed as, like, the left halfback every year he played, but, you know, did the, the kicking duties quite a bit. You know, he had mm-hmm. uh, 87 attempts at field goals in his six years. Uh, did the punting. He carried a 39.1 career average in punting, um, and that's impressive. Uh, I think he only punted three of those six years, but still – uh, to do all that and run the ball and uh, carry you know four point nine yard average that's uh that's pretty respectable. Yeah, vers- versatility seems to play a big part in players from that era as well, since so many of them did play different positions. I mean, it's kind of like the last time I was on, we were talking about uh, George Blanda. You know, he was a kicker and a quarterback too. So it feels like there's a certain point where guys from that probably early early to mid 50s all the way up until about the 70s where people who were very versatile seem to get a lot of respect for the, from like the hall of fame voters i mean what a coach's dream that would be nowadays you'd save uh, two roster spots if you didn't have to have a punter and a kicker you just had your halfback running the you know running the show on those you have two extra players to to play with <laughs> yeah well and it's it's interesting too because Wes Welker, I think, was a soccer-style kicker, and he kicked a few times for uh, New England, and Chad Ochocinco, I think, as well. Oh. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure if just like the more specialized, the mechanics have become for punting and for kicking kind of prevents that. But yeah, you, you would think that there are certain positions on the field that you could just sort of get away with having one person do both. Of course, you probably don't want to have your your star uh, wide receiver uh, punting the ball and taking a cheap shot or something, you know, because only a fifteen yard yeah. penalty and you know, <laughs> kill two birds with one stone if you do that. Take a guy. Yeah, out of well, the game. well, I mean, if you look back in New England in the early two thousands, I mean, a lot of those guys used to play on special teams, like Brewski, Rodney Harrison, Rabel. I mean, they were running down uh, kickoff returns. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. But I think that that being that vulnerable position of a kicker or a punter, when you have that leg out stretch, you know, after you have booted the ball and you know somebody hits you, it's going to hurt a lot worse because you're not in a very good defensive posture. You know, you're very vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. and that that's when like those uh, questionable roughing the kickers come in versus running into the kicker that can right. make or break right. a game. Yeah. Well, I mean, Doke is definitely, I think, uh, one that probably ought to be on this list. I think without any any uh, reservations. And I, I'm not sure yeah, I, if you, what do you think about Jimmy Johnson. I guess we didn't really talk about him either. 
Yeah, I definitely put Jimmy Johnson. I mean, he okay, definitely had I, the respect of his peers. I agree. But I think uh, maybe we'll save Dion. Maybe we'll come back to him because there are some good DBs that wore the 37 and did some significant things a little bit more maybe than uh, Dion did with his two years. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so we'll come back to, to Dion. Uh, where would you like to go next with our players? That's our Hall of Famers. Well, since we talked about uh, New England just now, I think we can go with uh, Rodney Harrison for a little bit too. Oh, yeah. That- yeah, he's he's definitely one of my favorite players to watch because he didn't have the same flashiness that I think other safeties of his era had. You know, he wasn't like Troy where he was going to fly at the A-gap and sack someone before they hand the ball off. He wasn't going to run back 109-yard interception like Ed Reed or make him you know, crazy plays like Brian Dawkins, but he was always someone who was around the ball and was just – he was always going to make his impact somehow. And he was versatile in his own right too, going off of that. I mean, you know, he could play on the edge of the line of scrimmage in a pass rush. You could put him in the box for run support. You know, if you had a tight end that was flexed off the line of scrimmage or a slot receiver, you know, he would play physical man-to-man defense, knock people out when the zone, when the receiver came into his zone, play deep field safety, split coverage. So I think he was really a versatile guy that, Probably won't get into the Hall of Fame because I'm not sure he'll have the numbers. And I think people look at that defense as a sort of a system defense. But I, I definitely liked watching him play, and I think he was just as valuable to anybody on that defense um, as any players as they had. And he's also the first player to have 30 interceptions and 30 sacks. The only other person to do that is Ray Lewis. So that's pretty hmm. good. That's pretty good credentials. Yeah, definitely is. I mean, I – I would think I appreciated his play more after he retired. I mean, I, he, yeah. I respect him. He always was around the ball, like you said, but to hear him as you know, on his television career, uh, you know, especially like Sunday night football, when they would have him on like halftime and he'd be breaking down, you know, a little bit of what ha- happened in the first half. He was a very cerebral player, a uh, very intelligent man. And I think that's what alluded to, like you said, he didn't have the great athleticism compared to some of his peers, you know, the Ed Reeds and the, the Paul Amalos, but, he was around the ball and, you know, watching the quarterback, you know, where he was looking or maybe some uh, indicators that that quarterback does when he, every time he throws, right. He was doing all those little reads and he talked about him as a, a you know TV commentator and uh, his cerebral game was tremendous, I think. And that's really, you know, amped up what he, he did as a player, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, Bill Trek has said that he's one of the best players that he's ever coached. So if you take one of the defensive, you know, one of the probably the greatest coach of all time, and especially one of the great defensive minds of all time for him to say that about you, you definitely have to, you know, back it up. And that's exactly what he did. So. Yeah, he, uh, he's a good one. So yeah, I, I believe, I think we're probably going to be in agreement. He should be on our list too, of that third spot. 100%. Okay. All right. Um, where would you like to go to next? Well, I want to, there was a few people that I had pretty high on my list that I think some people might kind of maybe not scratch their head, but have some different opinions on. One of them was Lester Hayes. And, you know, the, he was a five time Pro Bowler and he was the 1980 Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, he has two Super Bowls to his name, one first time All Pro, five time second team All Pro. Uh, he was on the NFL uh, All Decade team for the 80s. And he had the second most interceptions in a season with 13, which was one short of Night Train Lane's record of 14. And I think a lot of people will withhold their 
vote for him for the Hall of Fame was because of the Stickham issue that that season he used Stickham and he got 13 interceptions. I don't believe all of them came just from the substance he was using. I mean, when you watch the games from that season, I think he was just as intelligent as any cornerback that has played the game. I mean, he was able to undercut routes. He was able to read a quarterback, able to anticipate the receivers move, get a feel for them when he was in tight man to man. And that, that was if they even got off him. So I think he is someone who should definitely be in the hall of fame. And I'm not some, I'm not a person that puts a lot of thought into who should or should, should or shouldn't be, but I, I think he definitely deserves it. And uh, the argument about him using Stickham, I think can be a little inconsistent at times because there are players in the hall of fame that have used the substance before. So I would definitely put him high on the list and I would definitely put him in the hall of fame. Yeah, I, I I have no argument about that because he was definitely an impactful player. You know, those late seventies, uh, early eighties Oakland Raiders teams. Uh, you know, he was like you talked a little bit about uh, some of the other cornerbacks. You know, uh, quarterbacks tried to throw away from him, uh, so that's probably why his interceptions are down because he was that dominant of a of a defensive back for the Raiders. You know, that left cornerback position, and he would. You know, I don't I don't know if I would call him a shutdown corner. But he played hard, uh, very athletic, was always around the ball for some reason. And he was a hard hitter. You know, he, he punished receivers when they uh, caught the ball. And the rules were a little bit different. You know, you'd, I think he that was a little bit before uh, his first few years were before the, the Chuck rule even came in. So defensive backs you know, could just beat on receivers all the way down the field. And unless they did something really flagrant, it, was, it wasn't uh, called. Um so, but I'd wear a, a you know a 180 pound receiver down real quick with uh, having a, a 200 pound corner you know hammering on you for tight play after play. Yeah, he he definitely kind of reminds me of uh, like Ty Law before Ty Law. It's just one of the most aggressive corners that you could have, especially within the first five yards. And then God help you if you caught a ball and were in a zone and he would just knock you out. Yeah, so. that's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, again, he was just as good, you know, being having a nose for the ball, anticipating routes and reading a quarterback's eyes and then making a break on the ball. So, yeah, I'm definitely a big Lester fan. Yeah, I, I am. I mean, I was, I wasn't a fan when he played because, uh, you know, being a Steelers fan, the, the Raiders and the, you know, the Cowboys, those were two of the, the enemies because they met so many times in the postseason. And yeah. uh, even when they played the regular season, you just it's hard to root for the Raiders. And they almost wanted you not to root for them. They wanted to play that uh, sort of that villainous role in the NFL. And they did it well, but they had some great players like Lester Hayes. And uh, yeah, I think he definitely deserves the credit. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm going to put him on the list then if that's. Okay is he you. in the um the Pro Football Researchers Association Hall of Very Good? Do you know? Uh that I'm not sure. Um boy, it seems like he would, it seems like he would be a good candidate for that one at the very least. It it could be. I'll have to look that up and uh maybe I'll put it on the the show notes here. We get done cuz I'm I'm not I'm not quite sure. I don't really study that as probably as much as I should. Um <laughs> but um yeah, he would probably be a good candidate for that. You're right. Who, right. do you, uh, who do you want to talk about next? Well, let, let's, uh, as we're mentioning the Steelers, how about Carnell Lake? Uh, he, mm. Great uh, defensive back, you know, played a little bit of corner, played some safety, very versatile guy out of UCLA. Uh, Steelers really used him him well. And he was, he was a rather, you know, large man for a DB in that time, a six foot one, two ten. Um, 
you know, played with the Steelers his, uh, for most of his career from 89 until 1998 and then had a stint with uh, Jacksonville in 99 and uh, missed the season 2000, played with Baltimore 2001, but really didn't do much with those other teams. Um, but, you know, for his career, you know, 25 sacks is a, a big number from him. Five Pro Bowls, one time as an All-Pro, All-1990s team, and wore that number 37 his entire 13-year career. And he actually got a MVP vote from Peter King one year. I think it was that 95 season or 96 season. No, that was, that was a that was a Super Bowl season, I think, when they lost to the Cowboys. Yeah, it was it was a season where Rod Woodson went down, I think, after the first week. And they asked him, right. hey, do you, want, do you want to play corner? And I don't think he had ever played corner or he definitely hadn't played corner since college. And he said, well, hey, let's try it out in practice and then we'll play the game and see where it goes. And then I think in that game, he gets an interception. So, I mean, to be able to play a position like that, and obviously they're both defensive back positions, but the talent requirements are very different for each of them that not a lot of players can transition to easily. And he did it really flawlessly. So, yeah, he was definitely a hard-hitting player, very intelligent as well for them. Um, And 25 sacks as a defensive back is definitely something to applaud. And it was consistent too. You know, it wasn't like some seasons where he had a lot that few he was consistent at about a handful of sacks a year. So yeah, I definitely think he's definitely one of the best dealer players of all the time, especially on obviously on defense. So he's definitely deserving of this list. Yeah, I, I think so too. So uh do you want to put him on or do you want to come back to him? You want to think he should be on I would now? definitely put him on. Yeah, okay. I would definitely put him on now. Okay. So that that takes up five spots we have so far. Um I think another one we ought to talk about is uh, Sean Alexander, one of our rare uh, offensive players. I think, uh, you know, Sean was a, a very good back uh, for the Seattle Seahawks uh, during his career, you know, played uh, night or I'm sorry, year 2000 to 2008. Uh, well, 2008 season was with Washington, but 2000 through 2007 was a Seattle Seahawk and man was a, a beast, you know, 9,400 yards, a hundred touchdowns, uh, you know, caught the ball fairly well out of the backfield, just a, a good all around back and, uh, led the league in rushing, uh, 1,880 yards in the year 2005, his all pro season, just a, a good all around back. Yeah. I, I was surprised when I was kind of looking to see how people thought of him in terms of being a hall of fame player. And there were people that were really kind of polarized and split on how, he should be perceived in his career because he played nine years, but people point out that really five of those years, he was legitimately a great player or very, at the very least, a very good player. So he had a hundred touchdowns, but 87 of those came within those five years span. And I think a lot of people kind of question that longevity, you know, should we really kind of look at your five best years and put you in the hall of fame based on that? But a lot of people would also compare that to like um, like Earl Campbell or even earlier when we talk about Doak Walker. You know, he, he accomplished a lot in that time period. And I think one thing that kind of hurt him, too, is that he had the record for most touchdowns in the season in that 2005 MVP season. Mm-hmm. But then LT broke it the next year. So I think if he would have held on to that record for a few more years, I think maybe that would have kind of built up his status as a player. Um, but yeah, I, I still think he was definitely a great player. I think he gave a lot of flexibility to Matt Castle and to Mike Holmgren. And yeah, I think he was definitely a solid, solid player for that team as a whole. And they definitely, I don't think would have gotten to the Super Bowl without him. 
Yeah, he. Uh, you, know, you talk about that that MVP season. You know, that's just it's just tremendous. I mean, but he also had the most rushes of anybody in the NFL that year, three hundred and seventy rushes. So he was a big portion of the uh, the uh, Seattle Seahawks offense that year. And uh, I think uh, you were t- you said Matt Castle. Matt Hasselbeck was their their quarterback that year. Hasselbeck, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and he, I mean, he was a decent quarterback. But when you have a Sean Alexander running, you know, for eighteen hundred yards and you know, almost seventeen hundred the year before in two thousand four. Uh, it takes some pressure off a quarterback and you can uh, do a little bit of that play action, have your receivers uh, pop open a little bit. They make those safe safeties have to come up in the box a little bit more and uh, yeah. opens up some holes behind them. Well, and also too, I think right now he's tied for eighth on the all time rushing list with Marshall Falk and Marshall and the seven players that are ahead of them. And I think the five players after them are all in the hall of fame. So you kind of wonder, you know, if the guy has the yards, why wouldn't he be in there? You know, so it's kind of interesting to see maybe like down the road if he'll ever get in. But I definitely think he's yeah, he's definitely deserving of being on this list. Yeah. Anybody with uh, triple digits in the touchdown column, that's uh, that's got my immediate respect here. So I I think you're right. So I think he's going to eat up our sixth spot here on our all time greatest number 37s. Uh, okay, why don't you go ahead and uh, take a few here? Uh, well, I put Pat Fisher on my list. Okay. And, you know, he's often thought of as one of the best Redskins defenders in the franchise's history, had 56 total interceptions. And he, he was never really the cream of the crop for his era, but he was another one of those players that always got the respect of his peers. And, you know, oftentimes receivers would talk about, even though he was a lot smaller than them, that he would always give them you know, the best fight that they ever had. So yeah, he, he's someone who maybe I guess has kind of lost the history, but he was a solid player for, you know, a defensive minded head coach. And I, I would say he's deserving of being on here with the other defensive backs. Yeah. I mean, let, let's uh, put this in perspective too. I mean, he played from 1961 to 1967 with the St. Louis Cardinals and then was with Washington from 68 in 1977 i believe all but one of those were uh, 14 game seasons that's when the nfl had the 14 game schedule 76 77 might have been when they went to 16 games i forget exactly uh but to have you know 56 interceptions in there that's that's quite a tremendous accomplishment uh in that era where they didn't pass as much as they do now uh there was more interceptions quarterbacks threw it up a lot more you know didn't have the the back uh shoulder fade or anything like that uh, going on, but um, not as well-timed, but that's still some respectable numbers, three pro bowls, two times all pro. Um, yeah. That's uh, real good numbers. Yeah. He definitely, I think durability gives you a big, um, gives you a big boost when you're talking about how someone was as a player. And the fact that in, in those 14 game seasons, he played all 14 games in many of those. So yeah, I would absolutely say that's a big reason to respect the guy. And uh, you know, we thought Jimmy Johnson had a lot with 16 years wearing a number 37, Pat Fisher wore the number for 17 seasons. Yeah. Um, so he had a one up him. Yeah. had to get that one last year. And I think just to outdo him. Yeah. <laughs> just just for this discussion maybe yeah maybe that's what was going through his mind <laughs> this will be a good way good podcast uh the topic to talk about years down the road okay so we, we want to put him on our list then correct yeah i'll go for it okay all right that is seven spots t- taken all right now we sort of get into that uh 
for talking about DBs, you sort of get into that range where we have a, a big uh, log jam of guys all about similar, very similar numbers. Um, yeah, for there was one DB I put on there. It was uh, Nate Odemus for the Buffalo Bills. I think I'm pronouncing his last name right. I think it was Nate Odoms, wasn't it? Odoms, Odoms. Yes. So he uh, he's a he was a cornerback for the Bills. That obviously that defense isn't going to receive a lot of attention as much as the offense, and probably deservingly so. But you know they had a lot of good players on there, and he had you know a pretty good role in taking them to those four straight Super Bowls. Um, so I, I would say he's deserving of being on the spot, and you know he had a pretty good he had a few seasons where he had a pretty good amount of interceptions so i think he's definitely proved his worth with a competitive team that had some pretty good competition coming into the 90s i would agree i had him starred by in my list too i think he is uh definitely a worthy candidate uh of being on that list so we'll give him our eighth selection to him um and then we have you know some players you know like mark murphy was a defensive back and with 20 interceptions 12 seasons wearing uh tom myers the interesting uh, guy had 37 interceptions uh 10 seasons wearing that number 37 and then you had uh mike reinfeldt uh played in the 70s and 80s uh 26 interceptions in eight seasons and those are sort of that log jam of uh, dbs i was sort of talking about well i actually didn't go a db for the last for uh, this spot, I actually went with uh, another back in Larry Centers. Oh, okay. Let's yeah, talk about and Larry. Yeah, Larry's another interesting guy because he predominantly played in the fullback position. You know, he didn't get a lot of carries, but oftentimes, you know, he played in that up back role. And he had over 800 catches. And as a back, he had eight seasons with 65 plus receptions. Um, I mean, that's more than some seasons by Michael Irving or Shannon Sharp or Steve Largent. So, you know, his career was mostly with the Cardinals in the 90s, so he wasn't really going to get a lot of publicity. But, you know, whenever he went over to uh, the New England, he got, I think, two Super Bowl rings. So um, he definitely stood out in those categories. And I don't think he was ever really a rushing threat, but still over 800 catches coming out of the backfield. I mean, you really got to have a good set of hands and be able to make some people miss. So I put him on my list just for that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's amazing. His first four years with the Cardinals, he really wasn't uh, used a whole lot. I mean, he did have some pass receptions. He had his third year, he had uh, 50 catches, uh, fourth year, 66, but really no running yards to, to speak of. And then he just sort of uh, took off and uh, he started having you know, that 1995 season, 101 receptions for just under 1,000 yards. Uh, tremendous uh, player. Um, and plus, and it's like when you look back at the like the formations and the kind of offense, you know, it's not like they were putting him out like they were like Marshall Falk or uh, like Pittsburgh did with Le'Veon Bell for a while. You know, I mean, those are straight just coming out of the backfield. I'm, I'm curious to see how many yards he actually accumulated that season. And he really wasn't a small man, six foot, 225 coming out of college. That's uh, a yeah. that's pretty good size back. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So, uh, yeah, he he is definitely an interesting one to 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 think about here um who else do we have on the list that we're well, uh, like on standby well on standby well deon sanders we had on so the only one i think we checked off for, for standby 
But uh, another player I think it's worth mentioning, I don't know that he'll make our list, but kind of an interesting guy is Tommy Casanova. And Tommy Casanova was great name. Yeah, he had a great name. I'm sure the the ladies loved him. Um, But uh, he was his college uh, was really where he was most famous. And um, he had uh, uh, his coach was uh, I'm trying to look this up here as I'm stuttering through it. Um, His coach had some great comments to say about him. Of course, I can't get the thing to come up here. Here we go. Uh, Paul Brown was his coach uh, at Cincinnati. And this is what Paul Brown said about, he said, he's just plain special. We never had anyone else like him on defense. He played the ball like a center fielder on punt returns. He was excellent, a very good football player and always a gentleman. That was his professional coach uh, that talked about him. He was just one of those sort of versatile gadget guys, you know, six foot two, 195 pounds, uh, he is a college football hall of famer that did more in college than he did as a, a pro. Like I said, I don't think he'll make our list because this is the 37s and the pros, but uh, definitely worth uh, talking about. Yeah. Players like him will always have a place, right? I mean, you're never going to be, you're, you're probably not going to be a hall of famer, but you're always going to have like the role player that you can always be used in different ways. You know, it's kind of like uh, almost like a Troy Brown position type, right? You know, play some some good receiver as a like possession receiver type. Play some defensive back, punt returner. You know, even block uh, field goal kicks and do, and do various things like that. So, I think this kind of like goes back to our earlier conversation. The more versatile you are, the more you're going to be able to find a uh, a respectable career path. Yeah, definitely. And he he was definitely one of those guys. Yeah, most definitely. Now, is there anybody else that you want to talk about before we sort of make our final choice here? Not particularly. I think Dion is really the person we kind of need to focus on in terms of should we put him on the list or not? Because, I mean, obviously we, we've been – I think the last time we did this, we had Ken Stabler on when he was number 16 for a couple of years. Uh, and we ended up putting him on there, so – with Dion, I'm not sure that we can do that in this case, but I'd be curious to hear like what your thoughts are. Well, I would see I'm leaning towards putting Dion on. I mean, because really what we're comparing about is those uh, three DBs that I called my log jam, you know, Mark, Mark Murphy, uh, Tom Myers and Mike Reinfeldt. Those are the ones I sort of put him up against. But I think his credentials of, you know, maybe not as a, a 37, but um his overall play sort of sort of trumps what those other guys have. You know, I, I know uh, Myers had 37 interceptions in the seventies, but I think Dion was just that kind of a special player did a little bit of everything. I, I think he even played a little bit of offense when he was with the, the Ravens. I know he did with the Cowboys and the 49ers and the Falcons earlier in his career, but I think he might've done a little bit of, with them too. He was just a special player. And when he came on the field, uh, you know, even in his later years, the defense was just a little bit different, you know? And I think he was just a special player. Yeah. And I think, yeah, he played some special teams too that final year as well. So yeah, even though he was at the end of his career, he never really let up. I mean, he still played as well as he could. I mean, I think even in the, uh, his Washington days, a couple of years before that, he still put up some pretty decent statistics and, you know, was able to keep pace with a lot of the best receivers in football at that time. Um, especially with, and I think he was in Washington whenever T.O. was in uh, Philly. So, I mean, 
going on basically a lot of quality talent. So I think, yeah, he's definitely someone who deserves. And, yeah, I, I think we should put him on there. Just for I the, do too. And, and to put it in Dion's own words, he was a baller. You know, that's, that's yeah, I, I'd go with him. But yeah, I think he should be our tenth spot. So, all right, let's let me read these off to you. Um, we're putting uh, no, no particular order: Larry Centers, Nate Odom, Sean Alexander, Doak Walker, Dion Sanders, Lester Hayes, Rodney Harrison, Carnell Lake, Pat Fisher, and Jimmy Johnson. Those are our our 10 uh, best number 37s that uh, Aaron Harris and Darren Hayes have uh, come up here for the uh, football by number series. That's a good job. A who would you, if you had to like kind of, if you were like building a team and you had to take one of those players, who would you want to take? Any one of those players from the 37s? Oh, boy, that's, that's a tough one. But um, I think I would... Uh, but we're playing in this, the, our current era. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Well, um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's hard. It's hard to make a case for a lot of them then since they're all well, I, mean, I, I think at I, least 10 years out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'd probably go with Dion. I just think he's that special yeah. of a player and you can use him in so many different roles. He's, a, he's yeah, sort of a wild guy. Card. Yeah, I guess if you have a guy that could play all three dimensions, you would have to. You would probably have to take him. And if and if I didn't oh, uh, have, take him, I'd probably take a Lester Hayes. Yeah, well, I think I'd probably be more inclined to go Carnell Lake because I feel like Lester maybe was too aggressive to play in today's era. Ah, yeah, um, possibly. So I think I think Carnell was someone who maybe could play a little bit better off coverage and maybe I guess read a defense from various positions. More so than any other player. I mean, I guess maybe Rodney Harrison I would take too because Rodney kind of played, I guess, in that sort of bridge gap between you know the 2000s and the 2010s when there was sort of that transition. And plus, you know, he also played every day in practice against like the 2007 team when they were putting up those crazy passing statistics. So, yeah, I think yeah. I, I don't know. I think Rodney may be the one I would actually take instead. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, he uh. Yeah, appreciate you helping us out with the, those numbers. Uh, the, how about the, let's talk a little bit about your podcast. Uh, do you have any uh, recent episodes you can uh, let fill the listeners in to make sure they come over and check it out? And anything you got coming up that maybe we'd be interested in hearing? Well, yeah. Aside from the uh, two great episodes we had with you, we have an episode that was just released last week with uh, Scott Hansen, who is the host of the NFL Red Zone Channel. Um, that was a really interesting conversation that I had with him. Very uh, enthusiastic guy. Had a lot of great things to talk about, about his playing days at Syracuse and sort of his broadcasting career. So I think a lot of people may find an interesting side of him that you're not going to hear too frequently. So if anybody gets the chance to listen to that, I would highly recommend it. Um, for what's upcoming, I'm going to try to get another episode out before the end of the month. I definitely have some uh, football movies that I want to do a film review on um, and then want to do some more trivia like we did. I have a couple different peop- uh, guests for different teams that I'm going to work to do in the next month and then just some more people on niche topics that I want to interview. So, uh, yeah, just stay tuned and hopefully you'll like what you hear. Yeah. Wow. That's a, uh, I mean, some great guests there, you know, you know Scott Hansen, that's a, that's a great one. I, I can't wait to fully listen to that one. That, um, 
he is definitely a ball of energy and I don't know how he does it. So maybe some of his secrets would be revealed, but we'll leave that. We won't spoil anything for anybody. So we'll get into that. Uh, and check uh, out the episode with Darren Hayes as well. <laughs> yeah. That, that one, if you want to put you to sleep at night, uh, no, they, have, they have plenty of those to put them to sleep. No, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. We had that Steelers trivia that you came up with and that was, that was really interesting. There were some uh, great uh, questions there. Uh, you blew my doors off, but uh, there's some great questioning and uh, really getting into some great Steelers trivia. And uh, I think you said you were going to try to do that with some other teams as well, right? Yeah, I think uh, the next person I have on, I think it might actually be for uh, Green Bay Packers trivia. So we'll see how quickly I can get that set up and organized. Um, but yeah, I definitely would like to venture into every team. And then depending on how – Maybe not quickly, but down the line, I would like to do maybe even college teams as well, since, you know, college football fans are some of the most passionate fan bases you could find in the world. So I definitely want to get a lot of those guys or girls and see uh, how much they know about the team they root for. So let's see if I uh, and not only that, but that's just a lot of content you can have out there because we have thousands of colleges. So, (laughs) yeah, that's for sure. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a. Definitely a good series to do a long form thing for. Well, that's great. Well, again, we uh, appreciate your time coming on here and uh, helping us out once again uh, with your great insight on these uh, number 37s and, uh, you know, football history in general. And uh, we're appreciative of it. And, you know, thanks a lot, man. We appreciate it and hope to have you on again real soon. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait for part three. All right. Thanks, Aaron. Peeking up at the clock, the time's running down. We're going to go into victory formation, take a knee, and let this baby run out. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back tomorrow for the next podcast. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. A special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians, You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.